welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Well, we're starting on Tradition 4. And uh, this one sometimes can be a hot topic for people. Um, but I'm, I love it, and I love the stuff that was written about it. And, uh, I, of course, I love the traditions myself, except when they conflict with what I want to do. <laughs> and on the short form, it says each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. The fourth, however, expands on, it was a lot bigger. With respect to its own affairs, each AA group should be responsible to no other authority than its own conscience. But when, it plan, when its plans concern the welfare of neighboring groups also, those groups ought to be consulted, and no group, regional committee, or individual should ever take an action that might greatly affect AA as a whole without conferring with the trustees of the General Service Board on such issues our common welfare is paramount. And um, before we get into too many more of these, I know that a lot of times when I, I hear groups, and I know I, we were in that too, our group too, too, saying that, well, each group's autonomous, and that's about as far as we read, it seemed like. And I know that a lot of groups will do that too. They're autonomous. They can do whatever they want, and that's rightly so. But the big caution is to watch out when you start to get, um, having an effect on other groups or AA as a whole. And uh, it also can really cause some problems in certain areas when a group decides they're going to do some things that can really, really uh, um, affiliate or do something like that, then that can affect AA as a whole. And sometimes the, the stuff we do, we get a little bit too public. But in the, uh, in the 12 and 12, on page 146, uh, I really like some of this, and it, it almost defies imagination, some of this. But in, on page 146, on the second paragraph, it says, Over the years, every conceivable deviation from our 12 steps and traditions has been tried. That was sure to be, since we are so largely a band of ego-driven individualists, children of chaos, who have defiantly played with every brand of fire, only to emerge unharmed, and we think wiser. These are very, these very deviations created a vast process of trial and error, which, under the grace of God, has brought us to where we stand today. And I truly, truly believe that um, had we Anybody tried to restrict us or confine us, we would have just gone haywire and tore things up. Um, we, we tried pretty hard, too. Um, and on page 147, there's um, um, a part there, and it's in that first first paragraph, the first full paragraph. This meant, of course, that we have been given the courage to declare each AA group an individual entity, strictly reliant on its own conscience as a guide to action. 
In charting this enormous expanse of freedom, we found it necessary to pull two storm signals. Somebody having a problem with your phone? Sorry, I'm trying to mute, and I hit the wrong button. Oh, okay. Um, Okay, in charting this enormous expanse of freedom, we found it necessary to post only two storm signals. A group ought not to do anything which would greatly injure AA as a whole, nor ought ought it affiliate itself with anything or anybody else. There would be real danger. There would be real danger should we commence to call some groups wet, others dry, so others Republican or Communist, and others Catholic or Protestant. The AA group would have to stick to its course or be hopelessly lost. Sobriety had to be its sole objective. In all other respects, there was perfect freedom of will and action. Every group had the right to be wrong. And that that part there, it has proven it has proven so many times. And uh, I know, and some that I've watched, you know, in my time in sobriety, and it's you know that the warning that that we we if we reach out and try to do something that that we're going to injure AA as a whole, or we start affiliating ourselves, and and sometimes we as uh, AA groups and members, uh, and also I would imagine this works in any other group. We, we all of a sudden we think that we've got a better idea, and we. And we start to align ourselves with people rather than just cooperate with treatment centers or um, different people or, or organizations. And uh, we can get ourselves into a real problem there. And we don't even we, we don't even realize it at first, but the public watches. And when they when this stuff happens, they they take it to heart and they say, "Well, oh, will they do that?" Um, just just hear. This uh, this month, as a matter of fact, there was a there was a group here in in Montana in our area for AA that put on a uh, a uh, CPC a cooperation with the professional community workshop of professionals, and they not only put on the workshop but they invited these other people. They had some some professionals speak, which we've done that too. That works good, and and some AA people speak and. One of the things they did was that they told people who were going to come that if they they were going to try to work it out with this one with the college that if they showed up they were going to get college credits for attending this and tried to warn them against it and I don't know if they did anything about that but when we start awarding college credits for people attending our our educational uh, you know like our public information or cooperation with professional community people. If we start aligning ourselves with some college and awarding credits, we're really stepping off into a deep end. And, and I, I didn't get to hear back yet if they went ahead and did it or not, but I certainly hope they didn't. Uh, they, had, they did it last year, and nobody even realized it until this year. So those are the kinds of things that can get us into deep water, and um, we don't even realize it. Um, and I know that... I, I love this story that, that comes up in this in this tradition about the guy who who really got things rolling and uh, man they even built a great big building and you know, they thought it should be better and they, they were just going to start out with a three story building and have a a deep like a detox center and a, they were even going to kind of figure out how to loan money to people who were in a little bit of trouble and and I mean it was going to be enormous in fact they were going to build it higher. And, 
the people of the town even got kind of swept up in it. This guy was a heck of a salesman. And uh, finally, the whole thing went on, and they were warned that they, that they might not want to do that, and that they couldn't get a charter for it or anything from AA. And it finally blew up, and it all collapsed down around them. And the neat thing about it was the guy who was the big promoter called up and said, I was wrong, and you guys were right, and I understand you now, and he's the one that came up with Rule 62. Don't take yourself so damn serious. And I and I love that. Uh, we hear that every now and then when we get into business, doing some of our, our business in AA, and, and I've, I've always heard it in SA. Uh, I believe it was in Chicago or Irvine, I can't remember, but I heard that. Uh, don't take yourself so damn serious. Um, you know, he did say that he wished he had paid uh, more attention to AA experience, and and I, I believe that's one of the great one of the great lessons there that this guy brought about and brought to everybody and shared it with them. In the uh, so we're so few. Anytime anybody really needs to jump in, just go, just feel free. It's just something that you know, don't wait and forget it like I do. Um, in the, in the VA comes of age, it's, you know, basically that same whole story is in there, all of it, but there's some other parts. I don't know what that was. Um, this right to be wrong is important, and that was repeated in here, but, uh, I know that and, and all of the things that we see that, that sometimes we can get uh, such great ideas and start trying to line ourselves up with other things and, and it just doesn't work. Uh, we forget what our basic premise is and what we're there for. Um, you know, when they said that any two or three are gathered together for sobriety, we call themselves an AA group provided that as a group they have no other affiliation. And, uh, they can do sobriety any way they want to, but, you know, they still, the biggest thing is that they don't affiliate or tie themselves to anything else, which that could be the death now. The Washingtonians prove that to us. Um, once again, they're trying to avoid, in fact, um, we were told a long time ago, and, I, and it's proven out to be so, that we don't name our AA, you know, like for us, AA groups that were held in a church and it would be the same thing for anybody else. We don't name them after the church and that's kind of hard to explain to sometimes to a you know, they feel really strongly since they meet in, say, like the Hope Lutheran Church and they call their, their group the Hope Lutheran uh, AA group. Uh, they recognize what that does and when it ties them right to the, the Lutheran religion, and others have done it with Catholic and, and, and other things too, and they've even done it with uh, with names of people. And we've we've gotten into the same same problem. Um, it says we can cooperate with anyone, but the name Alcoholics Anonymous be reserved for us only. And that is a that's really a a it's getting harder in this day and age because of the uh, the internet and the web and things going out all over the place and people can uh, copy stuff and reword it and make it look like it's the original document and some of that's been really tough but uh, 
so far we've been able to to hang on to it in AA, and I know that in SA um, is looking at some of the same stuff, and I know Elanon has had some of the, some of those problems too. Um, just here in uh, page one hundred five of the of the AA comes of age in the um, the last paragraph. It says that many people wonder how AA can function under such a seeming anarchy. Other societies have to have law enforced and sanctioned punishment administered by authorized people. Happily for us, we found we need no human authority whatever. We have two authorities which are far more effective. One is benign, the other malign. There is God our Father who very simply says, I am waiting for you to do my will. The other authority is named John Barleycorn, and he says, you better do God's will or I'll kill you. And sometimes he does kill. So when the chips are down, we conform to God's will or perish. At this level, the death sentence hangs over the AA members group, AA as a whole. Therefore, we have the full benefits of the murderous political dictatorships of today, but none of their liabilities. So there, there is authority enough, love enough, and punishment enough without all without any human being clutching the handle of, handles of power, such as AA's backstop against dis- disillusion and its final guarantee of survival under any conditions. For us, it is do or die. And I think that's one of the strongest things um, that helps us in, in watching. I know that many of you have been around any length of time. You've watched uh, members that you just you just were hoping so much that they could come in and make it to whatever fellowship and uh, that they could get it and they, and they don't. And man, that they end up either dying from it or being imprisoned or they get so sick spiritually that they, uh, to me, it would be better to die for me than to live in that, in that spiritual illness. I think I've told you before that we had a fellow here where I live that he died with 35 years of sobriety in 88. But even his own children called him a real sick SOB. I mean, at the, at the memorial that we had, one of his daughters spoke up and called him that because he was he was absolutely bone dry. He had no program working for him. He was just a grouchy old guy. In fact, we called him Archie Bunker. And, uh, you know, it was a tough, tough thing to watch. But he has been one of my greatest teachers. I do not want to go that way. I do not want to live like that. And I hope, you know, and that's one of the things we have good about good friends and family that will tell us when we start to hear in that direction. Um, I think I've only got one other thing that I really would like to read, and it's out of this pamphlet, The AA Tradition, How It Developed by Bill W. And this is off, uh, this comes on pages three and six. And this is a foreword written by Bill W. in 1955. And it says, How shall we AAs best preserve our unity? That is the subject of this booklet. And he starts out with, When an alcoholic applies the 12 steps of our recovery program to his personal life, his disintegration stops and his unification begins. The power which now holds him together in one piece overcomes those forces which have rent him apart. Exactly the same principle applies to each AA group and to Alcoholics Anonymous as a whole. So long as the ties which bind us together 
from far stronger than those forces which would divide us. If they could, all will be well. We shall be secure as a movement, and our essential unity will remain a certainty. And then on the next page, on page four down, a ways into that first big paragraph, it says, Unity is so vital to us as that we cannot risk those attitudes and practices which have sometimes demoralized other forms of human society. Thus far, we have succeeded because we have been different. May we continue to be so. And then the next paragraph is, But AA unity cannot automatically preserve itself. Like personal recovery, we shall always have to work to maintain it. Here, too, we surely need honesty, humility, open-mindedness, unselfishness, and above all, vigilance. So we who are older in a day beg you who are newer to ponder carefully the experience we have already had of trying to work and live together. We would like EKA to become just as much aware of those disturbing tendencies which endanger us as a whole as he is conscious of those personal defects which threaten his own sobriety and peace of mind. Our whole movements have, before now, gone on, gone on benders too. Um, it said, then the last little paragraph down there, it says, May we never forget that without permanent unity, we can offer little lasting relief to those sources of thousands yet to join, those scores of thousands yet to join us in our quest for freedom. Nobody invented Alcoholics Anonymous. It grew. Trial and error has produced a rich experience. Little by little, we have been adopting the lessons of that experience. First as policy, then as tradition. That process still goes on, and we hope it never stops. Should we ever harden too much, the letter might, the letter might crush that spirit. We could victimize ourselves by petty rules and prohibitions. We can imagine that we had said the last word. We might even be asking alcoholics to accept our rigid ideas or stay away. May we never stifle progress like that. And I think, you know, like, that's what I love about the traditions is um, they were put together. Nobody really liked them. Bill had a hard time selling them. In fact, he'd say, we'd like you to come over and speak as long as you don't talk about the traditions. And uh, I'll tell you the honest and bad truth. I've run into that myself. I mean, when you start to talk about traditions, you can see people's eyes just glaze over. They they really, a lot of, especially new people, they don't want to hear about it. And some people that have been here quite a while, they don't want to hear about it. But uh, the, the thing that I find is that most always it's because of a lack of understanding our history and the history of the traditions. Uh, a lot of a lot of folks that are in our our fellowship at AA, and I know this is going to be the same in other fellowships, because we're human beings and we're all we come from a lot of the almost the same silk, the same cloth. Is that we we just want to do what we want to do to make us feel better, and that's it. And researching history, the history and the traditions of this thing, the thing that's keeping us alive, we don't do. Therefore, we don't understand it, and we don't. We can't hear the warning that is laid out in the tradition and their guidelines to protect the AA from guys just like me and, and Bill and others like us that would uh, come up with great ideas and just tear this apart. Um, recently, uh, in our area, there was a guy came to the assembly and, and he had a deal and he sold it to a whole bunch of people. It was a great idea and it just hasn't worked out. And uh, now we're 
were cleaning up the mess and straightening it out and and uh working with part of it trying to but trying to get it straightened out and and he was a great promoter. He was a heck of a salesman, but boy when he left when he was gone, the wreckage was there. Fortunately it was all within AA in our groups and our districts and we haven't had to deal with it being out into the public. But it's those types of things that I, I really I love this program. Um, last night I was at a the Founders Day banquet they have here in, in uh, Billings for two districts around here. And um, I got to be there. In fact, they asked me to be the, the history speaker, which blows me away because about 29, about 28 years ago, I went to my first one, and I was awed by those people and what they were talking about in there I was last night talking about the old timers and bringing that forth to the new people that were at that and trying to encourage them to to be the ones that are going to step forward and, and make sure that this merit message gets carried to those who are still out there suffering, to those who haven't even been born yet that are coming our way. That's our obligation and our duty. And I think this 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 tradition right here is one of the biggest guidelines for a group to, to really uh, do an inventory and check itself and make sure that we're not um, we're not harming AA or other groups as a whole because it, it seems so slight at the time but it can be it can be very serious when we start uh, I know that we have some around that start inflicting dress codes and uh, appearance uh, you got you have to be clean shaven uh, no long hair. Um, no hats, uh, you know, different things. And in fact, uh, one of them has gone so far as that they have extra clothes in another room, and if somebody shows up, they won't run them off, but they redress them. They put these other clothes on them so that they can attend. Women have to wear dresses, and the guys have to wear jackets and ties on a certain meeting of the week. And I'll, and I'll just point out the danger of something like that is, is, there was a, I was taking meetings into this alternative high school and it was all young people, 14 to 18. And one of them was living close to there and was living in a, in a housing thing that was put on by the, uh, um, I forget what they call them. They, they, they watch over the young people and give them a home, a place to live and a stipend. And there was this one young girl and she was living across the street. She was really in trouble one night. And the person who was running that, that, that housing section, was actually the big drug dealer in that area. And uh, she just was needing help really bad. And she called me the next day, and, and I took another gal over there to, so we could talk to her. And I asked her why she didn't go across the street with this one gal that we knew in AA, and she knew her. Why she didn't go across the street last night and just go to the meeting and talk to her? She said, I, I was standing over there, she says, and I, I felt so bad that I looked across her, and I realized that it was dress-up night, and I didn't have good enough clothes to go to the meeting. I tell you what, that just about killed me. And I saw that the gal that, that goes to that meeting, when she heard it, it hurt her too, but she'd been so indoctrinated that she could not say anything against it or do anything about it. That is the danger. We can kill people with stuff that our group dreams up, and we do greatly affect AA as a whole, because how many people would that person talk to and say, well, you don't want to join that out, but here's what they do. And I've I've really witnessed some some terrible things that have happened, uh, where where groups have chosen to uh, take on or initiate policies and and stuff, or do stuff with the public that has gotten us into trouble. And uh, 
especially with colleges and stuff. And and we try to, you know, we have a lot of good stuff that we can do with all these people, and it's written in our service structure how to do that. But sometimes we just, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I'm an alcoholic, and man, I know. I come up with some fantastic ideas. Fortunately, I had sponsors all along the way that just kind of helped curtail those. And sometimes we can even mold them into a better direction to go and use the energy in a different way. But these things are the things I just think are so critical. And, and being involved uh, as a Class A trustee with SA, there's been a few things. I've, I've been uh, privileged to get some letters from diff- different places where people are uh, uh, have contemplated uh, as a group making a change to the group, which... Uh, would change the uh, sobriety definition or something like that or, or other things, uh, um, perhaps promoting some type of uh, uh, therapy, um, you know, and, and saying this is the way to go and making it part of the literature. And I, I just, I warn against that stuff every time I get a chance. And because uh, I realize how important it is for SA and Al-Anon and AA and NA and GA where the people's lives are at stake because of this. Oh, wait, you know, and I didn't even realize that, how, how important all these are to these people until after I was sober a while and got to start seeing it, where people can actually, you know, kill themselves because they've been shunned from where they thought their help was, where they were supposed to get help. They were turned away because they weren't, they weren't just right for it. They couldn't, they weren't uh, doing the exact right things. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, it, it just pains me to see that stuff happen. Um, I'm going to slow up right here and see if anybody's got any questions or anything that they would like to say. Or did you all leave? Pardon me, Oh, kind of. We're not alone. I don't know. It might be just us, too, but, but we're here. Well, I thought maybe I turned myself <laughs> myself off and didn't realize that I was sitting here talking into a dead phone. If I'm the no, only farmer in the church, I'm not complaining about the uh, about the uh, getting the whole thing. That's good stuff. The only real comment that I'd make is I think you're spot on when you say you know, to uh, check with your sponsor on a a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I use a sponsor for to tell me when I'm getting a little goofy. <laughs> he doesn't seem to have any hesitation. Yeah. That's, that is another thing that is so key, uh, uh, you know, about getting a good sponsor. Uh, and it's, you know, me, it's like I, I was told when I first came in, what made me think I could pick the best sponsor? I didn't even know what I was doing. God kind of took care of that, but sometimes the sponsors don't even know what's going on. And I know in our in the AA fellowship, I've seen this a lot, and they have they don't even really know what's going on, and so they're doling out bad advice. And that's that's where I, I learned to uh, listen to a lot of old timers that were around. Plus, my sponsor, I go to my sponsor with everything, and after a while, you learn uh, that your sponsor is the person to be trusted. But the first sponsor I had ended up killing himself because he was he was just basically bone dry. He had no program, and at 17 years, he finally stuck it down. He's just pulled the trigger. But God protected me through that sponsorship. And it's 
and then so I'm glad I listened to him because he got me going in the right direction, doing all the right things. He just wasn't doing them himself. But it's well, I tell you what, if it was up to me to make decisions on what's best for me and what's not, I guess we all know where I ended up. <laughs> I ended up at the doors trying to get somebody to help me. Anything else? I think this is one of the the uh, least talked about and least observed traditions of all of them. Because it because of the uh, the nature of it, saying that every group has the right to do whatever they want to do, um, basically, and uh, they even have the right to be wrong. But the part that I think that is missed so much, the, uh, the autonomy, is is really important. That each group is autonomous; they can do what they choose. But the other part is is okay, except where it affects other groups or AA as a whole, which would be the same as SA or Al-Anon or or whatever, N-A-G-A-O-A, all of those, sometimes I, I, I know that in, in groups, uh, we just don't look close enough as to how we are affecting the as a whole or other groups. And that's where they need to be consulted. And maybe even sometimes, if it even has a little glimmer of a question, ask somebody in another group or ask an old-timer from some other group or from some other town or state, Ask somebody, you know, what does this sound like to you? Run it by them. Because I don't know about you guys, but I've been in a room where we had a bunch of people and we were discussing something and we came up with a really cool idea. In fact, um, I think I had this experience as a delegate. <laughs> and, you know, we thought we had it hammered out and was really, really right on the mark. We took it out, presented it to the body, and they looked at us like we were crazy. <laughs> they said, well, where did you come up with that? Well, in the discussion, it just kind of led that way, and we all went with it. But when exposed to the whole body, thank God they saw that that wasn't the best way to go. And uh, that's kind of humbling, but it's it's uh, it's reassuring too that you know that there's another another uh, group of people or other people that we can ask to to see if we are on target, that we're not just a little bit off, and, and then we can cause some serious harm. I'll just give one example. Uh, when I was a delegate, at our area assembly, we were, AA didn't have its own uh, anonymity statement, which is now on a card, a folding card that you can lay out and set out on the table. And what was happening before is AA was a lot of AA groups, and a lot of them still do, just borrow Alamon's uh, anonymity statement. But you see here, what you hear when you leave here, let it stay here. And they weren't giving them credit. And we, we, they thought they should have their own. And it came up on the, uh, I think it was 1992, it was on the agenda. And it was in our information, our literature committee. And in the, and I was sent from our area to say, we should just ask to get an Al-Anon's permission to use theirs. They did a really good job. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I didn't feel hot about it, but I said, well, that's what the area said they wanted. So I got in there and I presented it, and when we were sitting there, the trustee said, well, we've already asked Alan on. They gave their permission. We just have to put an acknowledgement on the bottom of the card saying that with permission of of uh, Alan on. And as we were sitting in the meeting talking about it after the trustees were gone, that was from the combination meeting, and later we were just sitting there as a group, 
I got to think, well, how many other things are we going to borrow from other places and say with permission of? And, you know, I have statements like that to be put out on the table all the time. And uh, I said, maybe that's not such a hot idea. And the the group, the the committee, really got to talking about it and decided that maybe we needed to just use some of our stuff from our fellowship and do it and actually just use the traditions. They came up with the one from Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I had to come back and report to the area and tell them that what we, they sent you there with didn't really work. And I also had to tell them that I was the one who raised the flag on it. And uh, But when I told them what the committee did and what they came up, what we came up with, they were okay with it. It's just that we all thought that was the best thing and hadn't heard of anything else. And that's just a, a small example of where a bunch of people can think they've really got it figured out and just that voice, that minority voice or something from somebody else will change our line of thinking anyway. I know my line of thinking has been flawed more than once. Bob, it's Stephen Nasty with a question. Yeah. Um, there's been some talk around here about the word affiliation. Um, it's mentioned in steps, uh, traditions three and four, a little bit in six, and the idea of touchdown. And the idea that something like a men's tag meeting or a women's group to be a violation of the traditions because they have an affiliation other than simply from the requirement of having a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. Um, Mike's kind of study on this seems to suggest that um, there is that concept of affiliation and feeling outside affiliation, not an affiliation one with another. Uh, what is your observation on that? You know, I, boy, does anybody else have trouble understanding that? Could you repeat it, Bob? I, I yeah, think I, I got it, but 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 um, I'm not sure. Could you repeat what you thought you heard? Well, it was about affiliation, and um, you know about the word affiliation as it's used and us affiliating ourselves with other organizations or groups. Uh, was that was that the basic question? I think the que- the question that I heard, and it was difficult to hear, but I believe it was, if a group decides that it's a women's only meeting, is it violating uh, uh, that that by having an affiliation uh, with with women, for instance? Is, is that Tim? Is that your question, basically? Or if we had trouble, yeah. I had trouble understanding your 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 uh, your signal was garbled. Is that approximately what the question was? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You know, there have been there have been um, uh, women's meetings and men's meetings uh, since way since the start of AA. I know, and I'm I'm sure there's such a thing in um, SA. I believe, isn't there, Steve? Uh, yes, sir. Okay, the only thing in AA, and this is what this is what I was taught, is that if you're if we're calling it an AA meeting, we can say that it's a women's meeting, or we can say that it's a men's meeting, and or we can say that it's a it's a gay or lesbian meeting. You know, uh, I know those are those are different ones, but what it is when you say it's an AA meeting, if somebody shows at the door 
and say there's a guy shows up at the door for the women's meeting and needs a meeting, they are they are obligated to let that person in because it is an AA meeting. And if and say that a gal shows up at a men's meeting and and needs a meeting and uh, it's advertised as an AA meeting, their obligation is to let that person in because there's there's no other requirements. The basic premise there is in our meeting lists and in where we advertise where our meetings are, let everybody know. When people see that it's a men's meeting or a women's meeting, that means that it's going to be largely men or women that show up there. And and but if somebody shows up and needs a meeting, they are let in. And then, like if it was a men's meeting, we'd let the we'd let the lady in. But we would also, as a group of men, we would closely guard the person that you didn't end up with some guys trying to prey on them. Then the women do the same thing. But it is. It isn't that they're not allowed. I, I saw that happen in the town here in this town, in this state, our area, where a gal from where I live, she was just getting sober and she was doing really good. She went up to another town for a family matter and she needed a meeting really bad. And she went to three meetings in one night and got turned away from every one of them because they were men's meetings. And she called home here and got a hold of, actually she got a hold of my sponsor. Oh, Donnie, and she talked to him. And so he talked with her for quite a while, you know, and, and talked her through. They just had a meeting on phone. But I'll tell you what, when I found out that I was so hot, I mean, I was really, I was angry, and I had to really pray about it. But I did get a hold of the district up there, and several of the groups of people that I knew up there said, this stuff, that isn't, this doesn't get it. You know, that person could have gone out and committed suicide because they didn't get somebody to talk to from, from the fellowship. And it's, those are the kinds of things that we just have to try to help each other remember. There, I really want to go up and give them a piece of my mind, but since I don't have much left, I have to be careful of that. But we can call them up and help them remember that, no, we're here to treat, we're not, we're not specialty groups. Although we can call them that, we still have to allow them in. Does that help at all? Oh, yeah, that absolutely helps. Okay. If, if you guys can remember, I'd like to tell a little story that happened in our local intergroup about this. Yeah, please talk slow because your your voice is very garbled. Um, our, one of our women's groups, that intergroup, reported they'd had two or three men show up to their meeting and did not know how to handle it. And it was brought up that, well, the idea of women's group is a violation of the tradition. But on the other hand, the group has its autonomy to do with it. And the discussion ensuing um, gave them the idea that a uh, sexaholic is a sexaholic, man or woman. They took this back to their group, this idea, and had a group's conscience. And because of the specialized nature of, of a particular point of identification, and particularly the in the fellowship, the group conscience was, no, we're not going to allow them to be in sex. They developed what they call a man package, which is direction to a meeting down the street, a newcomer's brochure, and I think a schedule of all the meetings in the area. And this arose out of a very lively discussion surrounding this tradition at the interview level, which is fascinating to watch. Okay, Tim, you, you sounded real clear at the beginning. At the end, it wasn't so clear. Bob, did you get it all? 
Well, I think I got it. There was a there was a large discussion over a meeting where some guys showed up and and uh, and were not welcomed, and there was an ensuing discussion at the intergroup office. It got very lively and 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 um, but then the outcome of it was that they they decided that they needed to have literature at their meeting to guide people to where they could get help if they showed up at their door. Was that about right? Yes. It was a beautiful thing to watch happen. That's fantastic when that happens. And I know that at my home group, and there's several other groups around, that love and tolerance is our code, it says in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we get people that want to turn, you know, our group, we, we don't, um, we don't bring in all kinds of, uh, drug addicts and all kinds of everything. We have closed meetings, you know. So what we do is the closed meetings are for alcoholics, alcoholics only. You gotta be an alcoholic to be in there. You, of course, every alcoholic's got a zillion other problems. That's obvious. But, uh, we don't, we don't talk about anything other than alcoholism in there and, and we make that plain at the start in our meeting. But we also, we have available, we don't, we don't put them out for everybody to see, but we have a meeting list and phone numbers from other fellowships such as Al-Anon and NA and PA and, and other fellowships because people come to our door and when they say nobody shows up by mistake, well, I honestly believe they don't. They were seeking help, and they saw somebody that tries to help people spiritually who are really in a bad shape. They show up at our door, but they're not alcoholic. So what we do is we take them aside and talk to them, and we give them this information of where else to go. Personally, I've actually went outside and talked with them and called somebody from the other fellowship. Please come and get them. My wife has hauled them to an open meeting. Uh, we do this out of love because these people can die too. But this thing about making sure that we have information for people where to go to get the help that they might need, even though we can't provide it there, I think that's that's a big thing. Um, and I, I really was neat to hear that they they solved all of that um, uh, by having that discussion, an open discussion, and, and looking at your traditions and and I think. And that comes about from an informed group conscience. And that's where a lot of, a lot of our, we made some really bozo decisions in our group because we made group conscience decisions and we voted unanimously to do it. But we were not informed. And nowadays, when it comes to some, uh, a, a fairly good topic or something that's going to be in our group, we try to get all the information we can from the literature and from experienced people before we make a decision on that, our group. That has proven to keep us out of a lot of trouble. Yeah, one of, this is Robert, and one of the, uh, the things that I think that we all look for are good ideas and how to make the fellowship better. And again, you know, default to the literature on this. And, you know, we're looking for a divine idea. You know, uh, as we seek to do the will of God, seek God's will, and then we think, oh, well, this is what God's will is supposed to be. But the 12 and 12, it says that um, what comes to us alone may be garbled by our own rationalization and wishful thinking. 
And the benefit of talking to another person is that we can get his direct comment and counsel on our situation. And there can be no doubt in our minds what that advice is. Throwing it alone in spiritual matters is dangerous. How many times have we heard well-intentioned people claiming the guidance of God when it was also claiming that they were sorely mistaken? Lacking both practice and humility, they had deluded themselves and were able to justify the most errant nonsense on the ground. And this is what God told them to do. That's my problem. You know, I keep getting messages from God, but it's in my own handwriting. And it goes on to say that it is worth noting that people of very high spiritual development almost always insist on checking with friends and spiritual advisors the guidance they feel they have received from God. And surely then a novice ought not lay himself open to the chance of making foolish, perhaps tragic blunders in this fashion. And so you know, my question is, where do we find the, the spiritual advisors? And of course, you know, we look to sponsors. But as Bob pointed out, sometimes when we're new, we don't always pick the, uh, the ablest of sponsors. But what I have learned is to look for people in the fellowship and, and a spiritual advisor, not necessarily clergy, and the, a sponsor and number of clergy, and sometimes there's goofy as anybody else. But, uh, <laughs> but if you are truly living the steps of this program and you're practicing these principles in all your affairs, um, you walk with God. And I believe that, you know, if it is a divine idea and uh, an inspiration, taking spirit in and inspiration, that it will be true and it will stand up to any challenge that comes to it. And truth doesn't care how often it's challenged. In fact, I, I believe the truth invites honest debate because it reveals error. And the last thing I'll say is I've come across this, and I'm not sure that it's true, but it appears to be, and that is a divine idea has four elements. And the four elements of the divine idea are, one, it hurts no one. A divine idea never hurts anyone. And secondly, the divine idea leads to the growth for all involved. And thirdly, it opens the way for its own implementation. And lastly, the longer you work with the divine idea, the greater your enthusiasm. So anyway, I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, boy, that's good. I like that. Um, yeah, I, I think for the best thing is is to look around in the groups that you go to and, and whatever fellowship you're in, and this is what I've observed, there's a lot of people that are very humorous and very they're very attractive to be, you know, to go over there and listen to and talk to and all that, but, but some of those aren't your best advisors. Some of your best, the, the people that are calm and they have a light in their eyes and, and they and they, they don't fly off the handle. They, they, you know, they're really steadfast. They talk solution, you know, rather than getting lost in a lot of other things. And after a while, you, when you walk into a room, you can sit in a room and listen for a while and you can just, you can just pick them out. They have a, like, almost like you're talking, they almost have a goal. And, uh, I know I, I witnessed this down at the, at a retreat here last year. 
there's a guy down there I kind of wanted to grow up to be like you know, you know Tom I and uh, yeah, yeah. just has he's just is so peaceful and so calm in his answers and and he's so right on and he, he doesn't just blow up and run all over the place I just I, those are the things that we do learn to see in groups and it's like I tell people all the time here in our area in our district our group I say there are people in AA, you know, that uh, when we have a position that needs to be filled, that would, and when we fill those positions, we do that for the best of AA, not for anybody else. For the best of AA, because we really, you know, on target with who we choose and elect. And I said I've got some really good friends that I would not vote for. I mean, I love them to death, and I mean, I really do, and I enjoy being around and talking to them, but I wouldn't vote for them. There are some other people that I don't particularly care for that I would vote for. And the basic difference is the one that I know that I would vote for will get the job done and will research it and do it. I may not enjoy them as another, you know, I love them, but I don't have to like them. I finally learned in AA. And that's when you you can sit and listen and, and observe people and learn that after a time. Especially when you talk to some of them, you know, you can, there's people that usually consult, but like you say, the sponsor, when you, when you finally landed at the right sponsor, you'll know. And even, even a good sponsor sometimes will say, look, I just don't know. I think you gotta go talk to so-and-so. You know, about this. And that, that to me, that's good sponsorship. I mean, I always thought I always had to have the answer and I don't. I always need to get the answer. If I can't, but I love that one. That one, and I, I truly believe the section of twelve and twelve. When Bill says um, on on the twelfth on the twelfth uh, step, he says, "Now, what about the rest of step twelve? The the magnificent energy and the enthusiasm that it releases in us. That to me is like that fourth item you just read that you had on there. The four items of a divine idea, mm-hmm. wasn't that?" Yeah, and it just, the more we do it, the more we light up, the more we get into it, and I and I think that's it. Um, I use that as my spiritual barometer to, for myself in AA is, am I still feeling that? Am I doing that? And if I'm not, then I need to do something to change that. You know, the, uh, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek enthusiasm, which means to be filled with the spirit. And, and specifically, it means in theos, or, or that in theos is God. It says it also ha- contains the idea of within God. Or, I probably the same thing. Yeah, very good. You know, and these things that we're talking about right here, these are the very things when it comes to tradition four, where a group, I don't care whether it's a huge group, or it's a it's a district or something when there's something that's in question and there's there's any hint of a of a you know that that gut feeling that we're supposed to learn how to to work with instead of what's going on in our head when we got just some bit of a gut feeling that it's not quite right that that that's when I don't care what size group it is or an individual you, you find somebody else to ask about it you know you talk to somebody else to get a different perspective. Because sometimes we can be so blind as to who else we're affecting. I know as an individual, I did not even realize how many people I was affecting, you know, with my alcoholism. 
kind of stuff that I did. And like in the AA, and a lot of times I didn't uh, didn't realize who all was being affected by what I did there. And I think that's that shows. I don't know some of the growth in the program that I've been able to receive is the ability to ask ask other people. I used to never ask because I didn't want to seem stupid. Well, now I just take it as a gift and I ask. <laughs> of course, last night when I was talking at that Founders Day banquet, thank God I had a good friend of my home group there, a younger guy I wanted to meet with his dad for years. Boy, you know, I don't know about you guys, but every now and then when you're talking, all of a sudden there's a name you can't remember or something. You're going, uh, just one you know really well. And boy, there was a guy sitting at the table right down in front of me, and he's prompted me about three or four times last night. That was great. I was not a bit embarrassed. I was just glad he was there. So I seem to suffer from the, uh, the same disease, Bob. It's called CRS. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember what the acronym stands for. <laughs> They're very good, Steve. Very good. Well, I I just I truly love the traditions and this opportunity to talk about them and use you guys. And I love the the, the sharing that the, you know that we do towards the end. Me, that's the biggest part. I just love hearing about it and. I don't know about where you're at, but a lot of times it's hard to get people who really want to talk about the traditions. And I believe they're the only thing that really keep us together. God gave us those traditions through Bill to help us not destroy ourselves. They are spiritual principles, and they are spiritual principles. And, and I know all of you know that I was taught this early on. Is they're not just for the groups, they're for me. And the first one they pointed out was that I should be self-supporting. <laughs> I think I think early on I really did, you know, read the traditions and then see all these ways that other people weren't abiding by them and kind of feel like, you know, I needed to get them to do right. But but I think you, you helped teach me, Bob, and I'm still trying to learn, uh, you know, uh, that... that um, I, I, I've got, I've got to abide by them, uh, and and I can't make anybody do anything. Um, I can just carry a message uh, in the way that I do things, and and uh, <laughs> most of the time when somebody or something is disturbing me, there's, you know, the book says it's a spiritual axiom, and and, and I think the traditions help me with that. Uh, kind of help me learn learn to. Uh, to work with uh, people who have their own, you know, ways of doing things. I think a lot of times people do things different than than I need to do them, and that's exactly what they're supposed to be doing. I can't tell the difference. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if if all the groups were the same, there'd probably be a lot of people not getting any help. Because people gravitate to different groups because there's just a little bit different feel to it. And that's, that's the way it should be. You know, and then, um, I don't know, I was raised, when I got into AA, there just wasn't any women's groups or men's groups around. And I was raised right in the middle of it, and to me, that was a a fantastic blessing, because I didn't know how to be around women other than obnoxious. You know, and and, uh, I actually had to learn how to behave and how to have the conversation. And the most amazing thing was, one day, I was sitting in my home group, 
down there for an evening meeting, and there was this young gal that was there, really good-looking gal, worked at a bank, and she was there, and I think I was about four years sober, three, four years sober. <clears throat> and we were sitting there, and all of a sudden it dawned on me that I was sitting there talking to her about AA, and there was not a single sexual thought going through my head. And I was blown away. And since that time, one of the great blessings that God has given me in this program, you people, is that I have a lot of women friends in AA, and I treasure them. I never would have had that, you know, had I not been, you know, raised that way in AA. But I understand where there's places where, you know, guys and gals need to go talk where they can be with other guys and gals. You know, and, and that's... I think that's fantastic. We just can't turn anybody away from the door that really needs a meeting. Thank you. All right. Anybody got anything else? Is there anybody else there? I heard Steve. Yes. And I'd like to reiterate my appreciation and gratitude. And thanks to you, Bob, for giving us this talk this afternoon on Tradition 4. It's been very uh, illuminating, and I appreciate your knowledge and experience. Thank you. Well, it's been great for me. I love listening to what you guys have to say. I, I really, I really enjoy it. It, it, it always helps me to see things from a different angle. When you got time to close with a prayer, it can be a long one or short one. don't matter to me. What do you guys want? The large prayer? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to start us off, Howard? Bring up our misses and me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, power, and the glory, forever and ever. God bless us all, each and every one. Amen. Good night, thank y'all. Good night, y'all. Good night. Take care. You bet. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.